0: Um, so as Ollie said at the beginning, over the summer, kind of in between um, our, our series in, in uh, 1 Kings, we're going to be slotting in a little collection of what I've called some Psalms for everyday life. Um, I, I've picked a, kind of a handful of them, which I, I hope will be helpful. Um, but of course, the Psalms are full of them, aren't they? They are chock full of the real stuff of life, aren't they? That's why we go to them so often, isn't it, in the, in the ups and the downs of, of, uh, of what we're going through. Um, it's because they point us to God in the everyday experience um, of our lives, and they don't just speak to us, do they? But they speak for us as well, don't they? Because the Psalms show us, like like maybe no other part of Scripture, the kind of the interior lives of the Psalmists. You know, their their personal struggles, their their uh, the achings and longings of their hearts, their their dependence upon God, and and so on. The Psalms speak into Um, Kind of every conceivable circumstance of the Christian life and every emotional dimension of the Christian life uh, as well. The whole kind of raw reality of of the Christian life is to be found in the Psalms and and the complete range of emotions that goes with it. Um, And from there, they point us to Christ. And and we're going to start today in, uh, in Psalm 46, which I've called a psalm for when we face the storms of life which of course come don't they you might have noticed (laughs) they come whether we want them or not whether we like it or not and that's the thing about the the storms of life isn't it they strike all of us don't they whether whether we're optimists or whether we're pessimists you know whether we're kind of tiggers you know some of us are tiggers aren't we We're, we're kind of always bouncing through life on a wave of optimism and positivity and hopefulness usually to the annoyance of the pessimists but there you go you know people who see the good in everything um and and then there are the rest of us who are kind of eeyores a bit more eeyore like aren't we we're kind of pessimistic or more pessimistic more gloomy more more negative we tend to see the problems rather than the the opportunities in it, in everything but actually whether whether we're tiggers or eeyores you know whether we're optimists or pessimists actually all of us have to face don't we many things in, in our own lives and in the world at large, um, that, are, that we're going to struggle with, that are going to cause us pain. Indeed, there's going to be m- many of us this morning who are going through storms like that now. Uh, they might be relationship struggles. They might be financial struggles. They might be health struggles, be that uh, mental health struggles or physical health struggles. Um, and, and at the very least, these things play on our minds considerably, don't they? And often we just feel that they'll overwhelm us altogether. Um, and, and then, of course, if we broaden the scope a bit, we find that the storms we face are not only personal struggles, are they? But they're, they're the struggles we face as we try and live for Christ in, in a world that increasingly is turned against him, you know, a world that increasingly sidelines and, and alienates his, his church, You know, such that more of us perhaps face opposition than than. We used to, you know, at work or from our families or our friends. And and then if you go wider still, look at the wider world. Well, to do that is often to see more pain, isn't it? More struggle, more bitterness. And sometimes it just, it all seems so overwhelming, doesn't it? Uh, We, You know, we feel like the world is caving in around us. We just want it to stop. We want to press pause, don't we? We want to get off because we just can't cope with it anymore. Friends, there are enough storms in life, aren't there, to cause even the most wonderfully optimistic Tigger-like among us to just feel like giving up sometimes. Um, But here in in Psalm 46 is a psalm to sing in the storms of life, a psalm to sing in the middle of those circumstances that are a reality of life for all of us. And, And the reason I think it's such a helpful psalm it is because the psalmist himself here is wrestling with some very serious problems. Problems that feel to him, if you glance at verses 2 and 3, um, as though the whole world is kind of giving way under him. And, and I think that's the, that's the point here. You know, various scholars uh, try and work out the precise setting for the psalm. I'm not sure it's really possible to do that. Um, I think maybe the most likely is that it was written, perhaps as a meditation on the on the last minute deliverance um, of Israel from the Assyrians, their, their attack on Jerusalem in, in the eighth century, um, uh, when eighth uh, century BC, where where God turned what looked like a certain defeat into a spectacular victory. You can read about it in Two Kings. 19 in which case if that's if that's right well the setting was the the superpower of the day kind of banging on uh uh, on uh jerusalem's door as it were you know a a very present threat so no wonder the psalmist is worried um and and describes how he's feeling as as being like the mountains falling into the heart of the sea verse 2 And and the water's roaring and foaming and the mountains trembling with its surging uh, and so on. But you see, I don't think the, the event is really the point. Maybe that was the circumstance, maybe it wasn't. But I don't think that's the point. He wants us to know how he feels. And how he feels is as though his world is collapsing around him and he's at the end of his tether. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? but notice that this man does not despair right he doesn't throw in the towel but rather he's got a kind of a quiet unshakable confidence in god okay not not a confidence that everything's going to turn out rosy But a confidence that God is in control and won't leave him or forsake him. In other words, his confidence in in the midst of a life that is turned upside down by his circumstances. His confidence is not in himself. But it's in God. The God of the scriptures. Friends, I reckon that's a message that you and I need to hear over and over and over again. Isn't it? And in the midst of good times as well as bad times. That our confidence need not be shaken because of the God that we trust in. Because of course the, the, the Bible doesn't urge us towards blind optimism, does it? And, it, and neither does it, it kind of urge us towards a sort of cynical pessimism. But rather it calls us to biblical realism. And there's some biblical realism here. In this psalm, I think three bits of biblical realism that should give us confidence in the storms of life. Firstly, God's past record. Secondly, his present help. Thirdly, his future victory. So here's the here's the first reason why I think we can have confidence in the storms of life. It's because of God's past record. In other words, God has done certain things which show us that He's got a fabulous track record of being trustworthy and and in fact you'll notice that the psalm begins in verse 1 by asserting that God can be trusted God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And this is the main point of the psalm, really. God is a refuge in the storm, right? He's our strength when we're weak. And that gives the psalmist confidence. And so he's able to say, therefore, we will not fear. Do you see? It's because of these truths about God, that we need not be afraid. You know, that that, that no matter what happens to us, or, or, or no matter what life throws at us, God is our refuge and our strength. But of course, the trouble that we have with that it is not that this assertion about God is wrong. That's not the trouble. The trouble is that we often don't believe it. I I guess that's because, uh, or one reason might be because uh, life is just full of people who make wonderful claims, don't they? But but whose claims always end up falling short of what they promise. You notice that? Life's full of things like that, isn't it? Like the cream that promises to give you younger looking skin. It doesn't do that, does it? Or the ready meal that is apparently restaurant quality. Yeah, only it tastes like slop. Or, or more seriously, the pension that promised you a good retirement, only they lost a great chunk of your money. Um, or the dodgy car dealer who sold you kind of two cars welded together, something like that. Or even more seriously, the religious con man who promised you health and wealth and happiness, but just took your money and left you sick and poor and broken. Right? World's full of people like that, isn't it? Overzealous advertisers. Right? Slick salesmen, religious con men, the world's full of it. So is God like that? When he says here that whatever life throws at us, he is our refuge and strength, so we don't need to fear. Is he over-promising? He's not, is he? Not at all. And that's because he backs up his claims with solid credentials doesn't he just look at it look in this psalm at his past record because it's very impressive um we're invited to look at it in in verse 8 look come behold the works of the lord how he has brought desolations on the Earth, he makes wars cease to the end of the Earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. So what sort of things does the Psalmist have in mind here that God has done? well, he 's talking about the desolations that God has brought on the earth, hasn 't he? In other words, God has acted in judgment on the Earth. But notice he 's also made wars cease. He's broken the bow, he's shattered the spear, he's burned the chariot. In other words, through his judgments, he's brought about peace. He's acted to bring his judgment on the nations, but through it to bring peace. And and what was the most significant event in, in Israel's history, where there was both judgment and peace? It's got to be the exodus, hasn't it? The exodus from Egypt which, of course, was a, was a massive national event, wasn't it? It was, it was kind of rooted in the, in the psyche of God's people because they were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt, the superpower of the day. Humanly speaking, escape looked a complete impossibility. It, it would have been like the, the might of the Egyptian army against this kind of ragtag a bunch of slave laborers. But God brought it about. He brought judgment on the land of Egypt, didn't he, through the plagues, And then he rescued his people through his miraculous intervention, such that while Egypt received God's judgment, so God's people received peace and freedom. And of course, it wasn't just at the beginning of of Israel's history that that God acted in that way, was it? But actually, the Old Testament's chock full of of examples where, where again and again and again, God intervenes to rescue his people from their enemies. And that's what the psalmist here is looking back to. The incredible acts of God on behalf of his people, right? A catalogue of the awesome works of God. And friends, notice too, look in verse 6, how it is that God brings about his plans for the world. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. You see, the nations are in, in uproar, they're all, they're all fighting each other, it's riotous, it's it's chaotic, it, it seems all out of control. What does God do? Well, he just lifts his voice, and, and the earth melts. Just one word from him, and all of that chaos and riotousness, and it just all melts away. Friends, that's awesome power, isn't it? He just speaks his word, and all of that uproar is subdued, brought to to justice, um, I, I went to school in a um, pretty rowdy comprehensive school, really, with a ton of behavioural challenges, uh, which many of the teachers in the school just they couldn't control. Um, some of the classes I was, was in was just total chaos. But when Mister Dickinson entered the room, okay, he was the headmaster, um, with one quietly spoken word, would come instant quiet. And obedience. Maybe you remember a teacher that had that kind of presence, power. You know, I reckon most schools have got just at least one, haven't they? Hopefully, <laughs> it's it's that that's the kind of power. And, but of course, infinitely more, kind of on, on a cosmic scale, that that's being described here. But of course, it's one thing, isn't it, to kind of skim through the Old Testament and, and see God's works. It's quite another thing then to look in the New Testament. And, and see God's works in, in technicolour, if you like, in, in all of their beauty and their, their depth, because it's in Jesus, of course, that we really see God's works in all their fullness, isn't it? So look at the works of Jesus, you know, bringing healing and compassion to the lost. Look how he subdued the storm. Look at how he fed the 5,000. Look at how he gave new life to the, to the dead. Look at how he walked on the water. Look at how he died on the cross. In humiliation and abandonment and agony for our sins. Look at how he rose from the dead in triumph. And ascended into heaven as king. You see, just come and see the works of the Lord, the psalmist says. Look at his track record. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? So surely this is a God we can trust, right? I mean, have you ever known him to break a promise? Have you ever known him to fail to deliver? Have you ever known a repentant sinner be turned away? Have you ever known a sin that's too big for him to forgive? No, you haven't. <laughs> so come and see the works of the Lord, the psalmist says. And, and, and bow in humility before the God who can be trusted. Both, both in trouble and in joy. course the trouble we have with trusting God in the storms of life placing our confidence in him is that we're just so prone to trusting ourselves instead aren't we that's what society tells us is the answer isn't it self-belief self-confidence self-focus the key to success in the storms of life society tells us is to is to reach inside yourself Believe in yourself, trust yourself, and your your instincts, your judgments, whatever. Friends, according to the Bible, that's just rubbish. Self-focus, self-trust, self-belief, that's not the solution, that's the problem. Which is actually plain to see, isn't it, when we look at our track record as against God's. Because, friends, our track records, if we're honest, it's pretty much a catalogue of Failure, disappointment. And so the psalmist makes it clear here where our trust should be. Right, He invites us to look at the works of the Lord. He says, come and see. Come and see God's flawless track record. And see that he's the one to trust in bad times and in good times. He's the one in whom our our confidence needs to be placed. And not ourselves. Do you want... um, You want quiet, unshakable confidence through the storms of life? Well, friends, consider God's track record. Consider his past record and place your trust in him and not in yourself. He's the one to trust, not you. Um, Psalm also encourages us to see God's present help in the face of life storms because we might well say, well, you know, it's great that, that God's, you know, everything that God's done in the past, but my storm is happening now. Okay, so where is he now? Well, I, Psalmist gives us great assurances here of God's present help in our struggles. Have a look at verse 1 again. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present Help in trouble or an ever present help in trouble, therefore, we will not fear. Or, or look at verse 7, or it's repeated in verse 11 the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you see the psalmist knows that God he, he's not aloof, he's not distant, right? He's not absent. He's not kind of up there somewhere, you know, looking down on our pain and our struggle from some kind of cozy room in heaven or something. No, he's a God who is present in our pain. He's a God who's intimately involved in the lives of his people. He's with us. And and how can the psalmist be so confident about that? Well, have a look at verse 4. There is a river... Whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. You see, the psalmist is confident because God is with his people in the city. He's, he's within her. So she, she won't fall. And and of course, the Old Testament people of God could rejoice, couldn't they, in God's presence, because it was in the very heart of the city, wasn't it? It was in the temple, there in the Holy of Holies, God's glory rested. He was with his people such that, 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 that he protected his people from trouble or from attack. He watched over the city, and that gave them great confidence, didn't it? Of course it did. What could ultimately harm them when God was dwelling with his people? In fact, uh, in verse 4, notice that the the roaring, foaming waters of verse 3 have been changed into a river of blessing, right? Uh, Verse 4, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And that's not so much a literal river there. It's a symbol of the, the, the blessing of God because he's with his people. You see, fear has been turned into blessing because God is present with his people. But friends, if the Old Testament people of God could take such confidence from God's presence with them, how much more can we? Because, of course, God has done something way more extraordinary than dwelling in the temple, hasn't he? Because there, of course, you know, know, no one could approach God in all his holiness except through the high priest once a year. But in Jesus Christ, God took on human flesh. He became a man who quite literally lived among us. He became Emmanuel, didn't he? God with us. And as God became man, Jesus experienced our world in in our flesh. And and he faced our pressures and and our storms. You know, as the writer of the Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with, with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, but without sin. Friends, the Lord Jesus has lived our life. He's walked our walk. He's been in our shoes. He's known rejection. He's known excruciating pain. He's experienced betrayal. He's experienced bereavement. He knows everything about us and what we're facing. And friends, even more extraordinary than that is that by his spirit, he is with us now. In in the heart of every believer, um, If you're somebody who uh, pays more attention to the Christian calendar than I do, um, you you might know it's Pentecost Sunday uh, today, when the church traditionally has has remembered God's sending of his Holy Spirit at at Pentecost. We're going to be remembering it this afternoon, in fact, at Westbrook. Um, But that was in fulfillment of a promise, wasn't it? Before he went to his father, he said, Behold, I am with you always. And then promised to send his Spirit. To be with his people so that they wouldn't be orphans. That's why God can say, I'll never leave you or forsake you, isn't it? It's because, friend, if you're a Christian here today, by his spirit, God is with you. He's placed his spirit within you and will not leave you. And, friend, that is why the New Testament believer is in a much better position than the Old Testament believer was. Yes, our our psalmist had great confidence in God's presence with him, but friend, how much more should we? When we have God not just in the temple, but in our hearts, such that we can never be alone in any situation. We'll never go through anything ever again on our own. Do you realise that? No storm. Right? No struggle, no situation we face, however awful, will we have to face alone or in our own strength? Because God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Uh, I, I remember being on holiday one year. Having a, um, we were having a picnic kids were small we were having a picnic by the side of a river the two boys wanted to go in and have a swim Um, i could see that the kind of the current in the the main part of the river was probably a bit strong for them to to swim in but there was a there was a kind of bit on the side that was that was sort of a bit more sheltered they could swim in that so they they did Um, however one of the lads decided he was a strong enough swimmer to be able to swim out into the main flow Um, he was probably about nine or ten i think at the time so he did but he soon realized that the current actually was too strong for him. And it started pulling him downstream. And he had a moment of panic. I saw the look in his eye. He had a moment of panic because he thought he was on his own. And he was being swept away by the current. What he didn't know was that I'd foreseen that he'd probably have a go at that. You know, I knew the current would be too, too much for him. So I, I kind of positioned myself in the middle of the, the current, a bit downstream so that I could catch him, take him back to safety, which I did. In other words, he had been protected all along by his unseen father. And friends, that's how it is with us and God. Although our heavenly father too is unseen, yet he wants us to know that he is with us all the time to watch over us, to protect us, To strengthen us. And you know for countless Christians down the ages. That's been a great source of great strength. And comfort. Indeed many of us here. Will have known some very dark days. Times when we felt helpless and hopeless. In the face of seemingly overwhelming struggle. And yet have been sustained. By the wonderful truth of this psalm. That God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. So no, God doesn't remove us from the pains and troubles of life. But friend, he never leaves us alone in them. He is our ever-present help in trouble. So how can we have quiet, unshakable confidence through the storms of life? Well, the psalmist invites us to consider God's past record and place your trust in him and not yourself. And he invites us to consider God's present help, that he is with us now and there's nothing you will ever face alone again. But there's a final truth here, um, which, which the, the psalmist has for us, and that's to do with seeing God's future victory in, in the storms of life. Because we, we, you know, we might well be tempted to, to ask whether there's ever going to be an end <laughs> to, to these struggles, these difficulties will will God's people ever see justice you know is there a light at the end of the tunnel is it just an oncoming train (laughs) will we ever be vindicated well the answer is yes and and that's because of God's future victory and and whilst it's only a hint I I think we do see that that future hope um, here in verse 10 have a look Um, be still and know that I am God I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, very often, it seems to me, I think this is the verse that we take out of context, um, the be still and know that I am God bit. Um, it's often said to, to be kind of something like, uh, you know, um, in, enjoy the, the stillness and the quiet and, and, the, and the retreat from the harassment of, of a troubled world and know that God is God, you know, something like that. In other words, it's a call to be quiet, as it were, in, in the stillness of God's presence Um, but actually the context of the verse shows us what the psalmist has in mind I think because notice what he's just said in the verses before in verse 8 he says come behold the works of the Lord how he's brought desolations on the earth and, and made wars cease to the end of the earth and breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariot with fire and as we've seen already those are verses that speak of God's amazing power and authority in judgment aren't they and it's in that context that he says be still and know that I am God you see in other words it's not a voice that calls us to be quiet in the in the stillness of God's presence it's a verse that tells us to keep our mouths shut in the face of the awesome power and judgment of God in other words there's nothing more to say the right response is silence before this majestic, this holy God. It's as though standing before him and, and, and words are just inappropriate. I um, wonder whether you've ever stood behind a waterfall or, or up close to, to, a, to a big waterfall. Maybe some of you have been fortunate enough to go somewhere like Niagara Falls or Victoria Falls or somewhere like that. Or, or like me, you know, maybe you've visited one of the larger ones in the UK. The, the thing about getting up close to a waterfall, though, if you've ever done it, is that the power and the force of it is immense, isn't it? Maybe you've tried standing underneath one. I've done it once or twice. Just letting it hammer on your head or your body. You know, speaking is not the appropriate thing to do then, is it? You're going to be stunned into silence as you simply try and stay on your feet under its might, under its power. And and that phrase here, be still, it's it's like that, as, as one writer put it, it's not an invitation to quiet meditation, but rather to the silence of awestruck surrender. And then following that call, the Lord says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And that's a clear pronouncement from God, isn't it? That his plans will not be thwarted. right? His glory will be seen throughout the earth. He will be exalted as Lord of all the nations. Victory will be his. Nothing. No one can stand in his way. And friends, that's that's a huge encouragement, isn't it? But when we're feeling harassed. And when we're feeling hard pressed. When we're feeling anxious about the future. There will be justice. God's name will be honoured. God's people will be vindicated. We don't need to despair. One of the Christians in, uh, in past centuries who, who found strength and, and confidence in this psalm was the reformer, Martin Luther. You might remember him from your history books. He's the guy that kind of kicked off the, the Protestant Reformation, kind of recovered the truth of God's word, brought it back to the church. Pretty much reshaped Europe in the, in the process. But, you know, those were massively turbulent times for him and, and his fellow reformers. He, he saw close friends martyred. He, he suffered serious bouts of depression, uh, as well, of course, as being hounded and persecuted as he fought for the, the truth of the gospel. In, indeed, during some of the most stressful of those years, he was even tempted to doubt that the fundamental truths of the very gospel that he was contending for. And it was through this psalm, Actually, that God gave him strength, because in the middle of those great upheavals in his life that he was facing, he he could read the words, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, which I'm sure is exactly how it must have felt to him. And in the face of the great uncertainty he must have felt about the future of what he was contending for, the very gospel itself, he could read, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. In fact, I read this week that in his darkest moments, he would say to his friends, come, let us sing the 46th Psalm and let them do their worst. But of course, friends, the question for us is whether we too will place our trust in this mighty God and in his son, the Lord Jesus, who is God with us. In the midst of our most turbulent and trying times, will we surrender our rebellious hearts to him and not to ourselves? Because, friends, in good times and in bad, there's only one refuge and strength and it's not you. And it's not me. There is nothing that is truly solid, trustworthy, lasting, except him, and nothing can thwart his plans, nothing and so in the, in the storms of life, you know in the chaos of the present and the uncertainty of the future, if we want to know the quiet, unshakable confidence of the psalmist here. Well, it's not to be found in trusting ourselves and, and whatever human solutions we might come up with. No, it's to be found in, in trusting ourselves to God, who alone is our refuge and strength. And to his plans and purposes that cannot be thwarted. That's where there is confidence in the midst of chaos. Right? It's as we consider his past record, his present help, and his future victory. And surrender ourselves to him. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that um, that whatever the storm, um, whatever the chaos, uh, whatever the fear of what the future holds, we can know the same confidence as the psalmist here. Indeed, it's what you intend for us. That our security be found in the, in the covenant-keeping God, the, the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, the God of Jacob, who is with us and is our fortress. So would you please show us more of who you are until we are stunned to stillness by your power and your majesty and your, your infinite love for us. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.